me to Luke, the 14th chapter. A couple things I'd like to do today that I rarely do. One thing that I've, I have never done, but this morning I'd like to share a passage of Scripture that obviously is a God word for this season, where we're at, what we're doing, where we're going, what we want to see happen. My thought or theme today, and it's ironic, the person that I wrote this sermon for is not here, but I'll make sure they get it. It's entitled, No More Excuses. No More Excuses. As the body knows, I ran varsity track my junior, senior year of high school, and many times I would compete or many times watch different events taking place, whether the shot put, whether the, 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 the hurdles but many times when an, when an athlete failed to win or failed to do the right thing, oftentimes they would act like they were injured and they would walk away with a, a loser's limp. A lot of times someone might drop a, a football or, or miss a play in baseball and they started limping as if something had happened to them. I'm sure there, there are times when they were injured, but most of the time it was just an excuse to take away from the fact that they did not catch or they did not perform a lot of people in life have been told that they are losers, that they're no good, they'll never amount to anything, and I disagree with that. I believe God doesn't make junk. If God has a wallet, your picture's in it. He's proud of you. He's bragging on you. He loves you, and he's, he's here to see it all the way through the end. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, and they are good plans. In Luke, the 14th chapter, and I'm going to begin reading, I think the guys have it prepared I'm reading from the King James Version because that's simply the, uh, that, was the, that was the translation 30 years ago when I started memorizing Scripture, and I memorized so much in the King James, I refused to go to the Amplified or the New King James. So bear with me in this poetic, prophetic reading, in, beginning in verse 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man had a great supper, and bade many. Everybody say, God made a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time, let the church say, the church, and the church at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they with all consent begin to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. Look at somebody and say, us. We have been invited to an incredible dinner. We are the guests of honor, and we are what it's all about. And the servant said, Lo, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Look at somebody and say, the harvest. There are multitudes in the valley of decision the day of the harvest. The word says in the last days that entire nations will turn to God 
before the return of Christ. And I believe that is the message to us today, that we need to stop containing this wonderful glory, this wonderful word within the four walls of this church. But it's time that we go out and beckon them to come in. Notice what he says about the harvest. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Look at somebody and say, there is still room at the cross for you. And the Lord said unto a servant, go out into the highways and hedges, and that sounds like Polk County and Udawal to me, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Listen, God's planning a party, and he's going to celebrate, and there's going to be a full house there that's going to be a part of it, and I intend to be a part of that celebration. Do I have a witness in the building? And we are now at verse 23. Go out in the highways and hell, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Look at somebody and say, wow. We know God is a kind God. God is a gracious God. God is a loving God. The word said he came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even those that believe on his name. Are there any believers in the building today? How many knows that God knew you would be here? Go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap. He knew you would be here. He knew you would come hungry. And you're going to not leave the same way when you came in. We are headed to Cracker Barrel. We're going to load that plate down. We're going to get biscuits and gravy and jelly and chicken and dumplings and okra and, and, and fried apples. They don't fry them. I don't know why they call them fried apples. Fried apples. And we're going to leave here full. And don't get so hungry this morning in the flesh that you leave me before this word is over. If you get up and leave in the sermon, I'll just assume you're headed to Cracker Barrel to get me a table and I'll be right there as soon as I'm done talking to Pastor John on, on the phone. But I believe God knew we would be here, and I believe that God has something for us. I want to look, first of all, very quickly at the three excuses mankind will use not to be a part of the things of God. And the first thing that I want to mention is that the only difference between a workaholic and an alcoholic is a spelling. The number one reason this first guest that was invited to the celebration gave was business. I can't come because I have a job. I can't come because I'm working. I can't come because I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And God knows all about business. God knows all about the marketplace. That's why God gave us six days to go into the highways, into the, into the valley, into the mountain, and to gather the, the abilities and talents we operate in. And God said, do it in six days. But on the seventh day, I want that day for you to come and bless me and honor me so I may bless and I may honor you. Going to the house of God is not a suggestion. It is a commandment, especially in the last days when we see the things of the word of God coming to pass. The Bible says, absolutely forsake not the assembly of yourselves, the reason being you are a part of this body and you are important in the kingdom and there are things that you can do that no one else can do that God has called you to do. That's why he wants you to be a part of it. Am I helping anybody in the place today? I want to be very, very careful, careful what I say, not to offend anybody or upset anybody, but Pastor Ron and I made a decision several years ago that we would not allow and, and as a parent, if you're living in my house, eating my food, sleeping in my bed, 
then you're going to pretty much do what I ask you to do. Do I get a witness in the house? And we just made a decision that we would not allow our daughter, when she got a little older, to get a job that would keep her away from the house of God. And we've managed, she's 26 years old, we've managed, she's never had to take a job where she had to work on the weekend. I understand that sometimes the ox is in the ditch and you take whatever job there, there is. I understand all of that. But I have learned if I set a standard before God, I said, God, my daughter needs a job. She needs a good job. She has a car. She has insurance. She wants to buy her own stuff. And I appreciate that. Will you make it possible that she can get a job that will not keep her away from the house of God on Sunday? Am I helping anybody in the building? And I believe I have been a very successful dad. I have two precious daughters that love the Lord, and I'll say more about that later. But I believe one of the reasons why the Davis family is so healthy is because our life rotates not around a job, but our life rotates around the house of God, the things of God, and the things that we can be a part of to be what God has called us to be. Do I have a friend in the building? The second reason a lot of people stay out of the house of God, and I, again, don't get offended. I love skiing, I love jet skiing, I love playing, I love golfing, I love Disneyland, I love all that stuff. But there are a lot of people that don't come to the house of God on Sunday because of toys, because of stuff. Well, we'd like to go, but we're just going to head out to the lake today. Man, I think that I'll just go hit 18 uh, holes of golf today. And if we're not careful, a lot of times the very things that God has blessed us with, if we're not careful, We'll put it in front of the things of God so it actually becomes our little God and it keeps us away from the things that God has for us and the things that God wants us to do. Can anybody get a, get a witness in the building? It's, I, and listen, you're looking at a type A personality. I'm one of those guys, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. When I, when I golf, I whack that ball as hard as I can. Then it takes me 20 minutes to find it. But that's, that's just a type personality. So I know all about playing. I know all about, about those things. I remember several weeks ago, I got up uh, Sunday morning, I told Pastor Ron, I said, I'm not going today. She said, you have to go today. I said, I'm not going today. I, I'm just, I'm churched out. I'm peopled out. I don't want to be around people. I just, I'm just going to go chill. I'm just going to, she said, you have, I said, give me one reason why I have to go today. She said, I'll give you two. First reason, you're the pastor. Number two, you're preaching. I don't have a word. You're on. So I thought that was pretty good motivation to be a part of the, of the, of the things of God. The third reason, or excuse rather, I guess, and there are, there are times when there are good reasons, and I understand all of that, trying to be balanced today, but these three guys were invited by God to come to a wedding. They all three, the Bible says they had excuse. It didn't say reasons, excuse. He said, I've got married, and I can't show up. You know, I'm tired of men being so patsy. They got to blame their, their, their lack of being what God wants them to be because of their wife. Do I get a strong amen by the men in this house? Hello? I mean, uh, the, mar the, the marriage and the family should be the number one reason why you're in the house of God and why you're a part of the things of God and why you want to be what God wants you to be. Let me tell you something, ladies. If, if your husband loves you the way that Christ loved the church and you submit to him the way that we submit to the body of Christ, it can be a good marriage. Look at somebody say, everything is going to be all right as long as I put God first. You said that kind of like you meant it, so I'll just believe that you will, you will mean it. And so there, there are the three reasons, whether a job, whether toys, whether family, whether whatever. I made a call. Be careful what I say. This is going on podcast. I made a call this week to a very dear spiritual son. Some real bad things happened to him early in life. I walked him through five years of prison, a bad. Matter of fact, I, I gave him my two Bibles. I never got back my message. The, anyway, that's neither here nor there. 
But I called him yesterday and I said, hey, I said, uh, I got a special word going a different direction tomorrow. I'd love for you to be there. He goes, I'll be there. Then he said, wait a minute. And he has a, a son that is a major, major competitor. I think he's 10 years old, but he's already won state championships in wrestling. And he said, he said, Pastor, I cannot be there tomorrow. We've got a wrestling match that I can't, I, I, I'm committed to. And I understand all of that. In, in Florida, if you attend church on Florida, things you compete with is soccer. The soccer, soccer goes every single Sunday. There's a game. And, I, again, things are important. It's important to do things with the family. But try not to let the family keep you out away from the things of God, the house of God. How many, how many has ever heard from God in the parking lot of Walmart? How many has ever heard from God on Rolling Hills, the third tee? How many has ever, I better be careful here. How many has ever heard, heard from God seated at Cracker Barrel? One. Cracker Barrel is a good place. Two. Austin, God spoke to Austin at Cracker Barrel and told him to buy his pastor some macaroni and cheese. And he didn't, and he didn't do it. Usually, where God speaks to us, unless you get up every morning, read, and just sit and listen, I got a bathroom window. I, I, you've been to my house. You see my garden. I'll spend several minutes just looking at the garden, just seeing uh, not how many weeds I've got to pull. But maybe God will say something. Maybe God will share something. And, and, and many times he does. But most times we go to the house of God to get a word from the Lord. And how many knows we desperately need a word from the Lord? It's called spiritual food. You know what is so ironic? You get hungry physically. Your stomach starts growling. You get a headache. Am I, am I is anybody committing? But, but when you get spiritually hungry, your body does not tell you. And a lot of times we will spiritually starve, not realizing we got to feed this inner man the same way we feed the outer man. Can I get a witness? And so if you love to eat physically, you should love to eat spiritually. And there should be some kind of balance in there. Am I helping anybody? Let me show you the four, the four categories that Jesus has invited to this wedding. He invited the poor, the maimed the lame, and the blind, four categories. And when I look at these four categories, I can't help but reflect, first of all, the poor man representing Lazarus. The Bible says there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, and he, and he fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, and he died, and he went to heaven. The rich man also died and went to hell and saw a Father Abraham and Lazarus off in his bosom. He cried out and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. They may cool my tongue, for I'm tormented, I'm tormented in these flames. And Abraham's, Abraham said, Son, in thy lifetime thou receivest good things and Lazarus bad things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And here we see that being poor is all a mindset. You can own, I have a friend that, that's worth $38 million, but his, his salvation is a glass of wine every night before. Then I have friends in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, that do not even have a suitcase, but they love God. They're on fire for God. I think poor is all a mindset because when you come to God, you realize God hath great joy and rejoices over our prosperity. He said, don't forget me because I'm the God that gives you the power to get wealth. Every one of you have ability or a talent to go take the resources of the world, invest it, turn around, and not be broke. If you be willing and obedient, Isaiah 1 and 19, you shall eat of the good of the land. God wants you blessed. God wants you to get away from that poverty mindset and get to the, to the mindset of there are things that God has for me. I'm not going to allow the enemy talk me out of them. I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to kick down the devil's door. I'm going to go into his house, and I'm going to see the things he's taken from me. I've been broke long enough. I've been poor long enough. I'm tired of eating spam. I want some ham. Hello. 
I want some heaven here on earth before I get to heaven. Can anybody relate to that? And I'm talking to people that work hard. I'm talking to people that know exactly what I'm talking about. So when you come to God broke, he gives you the word and the ability to get out of that poverty hole and be blessed. And God blesses you so you can bless somebody else. The second person I want to look at is the maimed. When I think about the maimed, I think about leprosy. And I think about the leper. Ten of them came to Christ. He sent them all away to, to, to confirm a miracle. As they walked away, all ten realized that they were healed. Only one came back. You know, it's so easy to gripe, fuss, whine, complain, be frustrated over all the bad things in our life. It's, it's easy to overlook all the good things in life. I remember 20-some-odd years ago, I took 12 kids to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and there we did a crusade. At, at that time, it was the largest church of God in the world, and the kids went out in the streets. We had the Jesus film. We went into the jungle. I mean, it was quite an eye-opener. I took a married couple that was really struggling in their marriage. They were very close to me, very strong supporters. In that week, God healed their marriage. Of the eight kids that I took to Haiti, four of them are now in full-time ministry. But ironically, when we got to Port-au-Prince, we got there, but our luggage did not. And we had girls on the trip. And most girls won't go out in public unless they've got their face on. And they had no stuff to paint their face. So we, they had to show up anyway. We had to do this conference. I needed their help. And so we all went, not only go without makeup, they went without ice. They went without air conditioning. They went, it, was not a, it was not a great, we were not staying at the Holiday Inn. We were staying in a motel that didn't have running water. That gets kind of scary. And every time I went to the bathroom, we had to carry a bucket. I know none of you can relate to what I'm saying in this building, but it gloriously changed their life, and they realized that there's more to life than stuff. You know what I have learned? When you give thanks for the good things, when you sit down and say, you know what, I'm just going to write down all the good things in my life. Being without air in the suburban for since April and not having air for a couple of days in the home, I can tell you, I praise God. I speak in tongues. I give him glory for air conditioning. Can anybody relate? Come on now. I thank God for a padded chair. I don't have a whole lot to sit on. And I sit on those metal chairs about where's me. Aren't you glad you got a padded pew to sit in this morning? I thank God that I don't have the ability to wear makeup, but the girls do. I think if the barn needs a coat of paint, go ahead and paint it. Make it look the best you can. Take that wife out and show her off because she looks, hello, Pastor Ron does not look hot today, does she not? In that, in that pink hubba hubba, I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost putting words in my mouth. I think it's okay. I think it's okay to enjoy the blessings of the Lord, but learn, first of all, in everything, give him thanks. There are storms that I've gone through that I didn't appreciate only to learn later in life that God brought somebody into my life that are, is going through the very same storm I went through but does not have a personal relationship with God. And God used me to help them. And we're gonna, we, we need to hurry and get to that. The third, the third, per, the fourth, third, per, third person mentioned here is Elaine. That's a guy that can't walk. And I remind her of the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says that every once in a while the Holy Ghost stirred up the water. And the first one in the water got healed. Jesus walked by, looked over the man and asked him, do you want to be healed? See, sometimes there, sometimes there is, sometimes if we're not careful, we can see the good in our handicap. If you're handicapped, you get to park closer to everything else. If you're handicapped, you can draw money from the state. If you're handicapped, you can milk it. Hello. 
You can whine. You can cry. You can use it. So, you know, there are a lot of people that are sick that probably really don't want to get well because the only attention they ever get is because they are sick. Am I helping anybody in the building? And a lot of times there are children that do not have a father. They don't have a home. There's no, there's no acknowledging who they are. And so they will get pregnant out of wedlock because for nine months they get all the attention, all the favor. Am I helping anybody in the building? But God knows right where you're at. God knows exactly what you need. And I'm here to tell you that he's come to stir the water. I mean, he's come to heal. He's come to provide. And I believe if you'll focus on that like the, like the man of Pula Bethesda, I believe you can take up your bed and walk. I don't believe you've got to be attacked all your life physically. The problems of the life, the problems of the body. You're looking at someone that was healed of colon cancer for years and years. I had they, whatever, whatever it was I had run like colon. They took it out. I went from 119 to 185. Thank God for fast food. Anybody in the building, get a witness in, in the place. The last guy here is blind. A lot of us are blind. We think we know it all. We know very little at all. We're kind of stumbling around in the dark. But I, I remember the blind man that heard that Jesus was coming. Couldn't see him, but heard he was coming. And Donnie, he heard the crowd. He heard it approaching closer and closer and closer. And he began to call out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. And people around him said, be quiet. Shut up. You're, you're annoying. You're irritating. You're, 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 you're getting on my nerve. He refused to be silenced, and he got the attention of Christ. I believe God says, call upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Aren't you glad that he penned the words, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Aren't you glad that the, that the, the lifters have been lifted, the, 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 the things have been removed and your eyes are open and you can see the good things of God, the blessings of God, the favor of God. Do I have a friend in the building? All four of these, what is so cool here, Donnie? All four of these now have a testimony. Everyone that comes to Christ has a testimony. Revelation 12, 10 and 11 tells us that there is an accuser of the brethren and he's constantly trying to destroy the people of God. And Job is a perfect example where the enemy tries to level him, take everything away from him. But may I tell you, the word says that we, Tanner, overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of our testimony. Look at somebody say power of our testimony. Notice we don't overcome the enemy by praying in tongues. We don't overcome the enemy by doing good things. And the Bible says we don't overcome the enemy by prayer. That's what it says. We don't, we don't, we don't overcome the enemy by, by being a good person or coming to church or whatever. We overcome the enemy. The enemy is shut down when you begin to give God glory for the miracle or the favor or the blessing or the storm he brought you through. Does anybody in the building relate to what we're saying today? Does anybody have a testimony? Everybody needs testimony. Then there really is an enemy. There's a great book I would recommend everybody to read. It's by Ron Carpenter. I have a real good friend in North Carolina that looks to Ron as a spiritual father. We went to see Al. We tried to go see Pastor Ron, but he was on vacation, so we missed that opportunity. Incredible book entitled The Need, The Necessity of an, of a, of an Adversary, of an Enemy. Okay, that's good. The Necessity of an Enemy. Everybody say, everyone needs an enemy. May I tell you that athletes appreciate the fact that there's competition, that it pushes them to be better than they normally were. 
Everybody, everybody loves a challenge. Everybody loves something going on. What we don't love is the negative attached to it. Then it becomes a steal, kill, and destroy. There's only three areas of your life he can mess with you, and that is to tempt you. He can tempt you that second piece of chocolate fudge cake, and my attitude is go for it. You can always put your belt below your belly or buy a bigger belt and just put it over your belt. Come on, am I preaching good today? He can tempt you. He can accuse you. The Bible says that blessed are they that are persecuted for my name's sake, for great shall be thy reward in heaven. And every time the enemy tries to come against you as accused of the brethren, there's a blessing attached to you if you stand the trial, if you walk it through, and you see good ground. The third thing that we don't like is that he can deceive. Nobody wants to be deceived. We're usually sucked up into something that we're not aware of, and, and we are deceived. And that's one of the worst, that's one of the strongest attributes that are, that are attached to him, that he can deceive you. But again, through the blood of Jesus, we overcome the enemy when we begin to declare to others what God has done for us. And when I think of some of the great testimonies, well, don't, let me not get ahead. Let me go ahead and share about, about the enemy. First of all, look at somebody and say, there is an enemy. 1 Peter 5 and 18 says he, he comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now let me tell you something. A roaring lion is not going to devour me because I have a 10-gauge Browning shotgun. I have an Ultra 7 mag. I got a 7 mag. I got a 7 mag odd 8. I have a 45 Glock. I got a 44 Smith & Wesson. I got a 38 Colt Cobra. I got four 12 gauges. Am I talking about the building? I am not going to be overcome by a roaring lion. But if you're unarmed and you're a lamb and you wander, wander away from the protection of the flock and the protection of God, the enemy will seek out to try to devour you. He loves to devour weak Christians or Christians that don't know who they are in Christ or what they can do. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And when you know that, there is a, there is a pressure put on the enemy. The Bible says, resist. And that resist doesn't mean to ignore. During World War II, there was the resistance movement. Where underground, they come against the Germans. And like, and, 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 like, and like Apache Indians, they put a great hurt on the German army. The Bible says when you confront the enemy, send him to where he needs to go. The devil is the only entity that you can tell to go to hell and get away with it. He's the only one. But when you put him in your place and you remind him of who you are and the blood of Jesus, the Bible says he has to flee. Look at someone and say, he has to flee when you resist him. Revelation 12 calls him the accuser of the brethren. Matthew 10 and 25 calls him, are you ready for this? The Lord of the flies. Lisa was doing something for the church earlier this week and told me that there were flies that were biting her, and there are flies that will bite you. But the, the, the biggest negative of the flies is they are so annoying. Can anybody relate? How many has ever spent like two or three hours with the fly swat newspaper or something? You just throw stuff, and, and, and the fly went out of its way to annoy you? That 12-gauge shotgun, just open up, babe. You're liable to hit it once or twice or something. But there, there's, the enemy is so annoying. He is so irritating. He is so negative. Can I get a witness in the building? He's so, he's so, he's so, but, but thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost to the power of raid. You can take that wind. You can take that ghost. You can fly at the enemy and the flies will drop dead at your feet. Do I have a witness in the building? Ephesians 6 calls him the prince of the power of the air. 
Most evangelists will tell you that there are three satanic strongholds of the nation. One of those is Knoxville. One of those is El Paso, Texas. And one of those are, is the Atlanta area. And when you begin to study about Knoxville, there are more satanic churches in Knoxville than any other city of our nation. When you go to El Paso, there is, you're right there on the border of Juarez, Mexico, which is the capital of the Santeria, which is the Catholic voodoo, which is, the, which is a satanic worship in, in Espanol. So when you begin to look at different cities, you will find some cities have their own reputation, have their own character. Can anybody relate? Philadelphia is called the, the city of brotherly love. San Francisco is second, and they, they distort that brotherly love. Every city has strongholds, different strongholds, that operate different ways. Am I confusing you? Dalton, Georgia is the divorce capital of the nation. More divorces in Dalton than any other city per capita. What does that mean? There's a spirit of divorce that rules over in, in, in Dalton. I was at a church one time. It was a tough, tough church, tough thing going on. I'd never seen a congregation, let me rephrase that. I'd never seen people so backbiting, so negative, so critical, so, so just literally no positive, no good whatsoever. I was with the pastor. He was a young pastor. And I said, Pastor, what does the name Silicaga mean? And he said, I don't know. I said, you need to find out. He did research. The name Silicaga meant buzzard's roost. And I said, Pastor, this, this, I'm telling the truth. It's an Indian name. It's called Buzzard's Roost. And I said, Pastor, there's a demonic spirit in this city that's critical, that it's negative, it's controlling, and that's the thing you need to fast and pray and come against. And within just a few years, he was pastoring a very powerful church because they took authority over that particular entity. Now, Cleveland, Tennessee, I believe, is a plethora of all kinds of demonic strongholds. Can I get a witness in this building? For a church to host so many ministries and have so many colleges and so many world-famous evangelists and singers and, and peace, it's, it's, it's scary how intimidating this city can be when you just realize if you come, you've never been here before you come, it's like you, like, you, you feel like, any, anybody feel like sometimes you get so hot and sticky, you just need a shower? Yesterday I was so hot and miserable, my, my, my boxers looked like swimming trunks, so I just jumped off in the lake. The lake has springs. The water was ice cold. I said, come on in the water, boys. The water, come on in, boys. The water's fine from, what movie was that? Soggy Bottom Boys. Yeah, the, in, in, anyway, there are times you'll, you'll be around things. You'll be around stuff. You just feel icky. That's use the Spirit of God. That's use the Spirit. Telling you this is a stronghold. This is the entity you need to come against. 2 Corinthians 11 says that he comes as an angel of light. He represents, represents himself as true. He represents himself as the only way. The Bible says many shall believe a lie and be damned. But aren't you glad that we overcome him by the power of our testimony? I know people in life would be very careful what I say, that 20 years ago were gloriously delivered from homosexuality, gloriously delivered from Satanism, gloriously delivered from, from pornography. But as they grow in the Lord, we've got to be careful that we don't get attached to the spirit of pride that we start being blessed, we start prospering, we buy a nice house, a nice swimming pool, we drive nice vehicles, and then we get to a place where we don't want to be reminded of where we have been brought out of. But that's the testimony that God has given you because there are people still trapped in homosexuality, still trapped in alcoholism, still trapped, and you are the key to opening a lock that's got them under control and the power. And if you keep your mouth shut, you're not being what God's called you to be, the salt, the light of the earth. Do I have a friend in the building that will confirm that? When I think of testimonies, 
I think of Joseph's testimony where he told the brothers, what you did was for evil, but God worked it for your good. When you look at the life of Joseph, there was nothing fair about that story. There was nothing fair about him being sold. There was nothing fair about him going to prison. Nothing fair to the 13 years. There was nothing fair. There was nothing, and he didn't even want to be Lord over, over Egypt. But that was the plan that God had for him, and that was his testimony. When I think of testimonies, I think of Esther. Esther went out of her way to remain a virgin. Esther was selected to be the queen, went through all the process, served the king. But because she had a testimony, she had faith in the uncle and the God that her uncle had, her cousin had introduced to. She had the courage to go before the king and say, there's something that's not right. It's out of order. And God used her to spare the entire Jewish nation. And had that not happened, Jesus Christ could not have come from that lineage. There's a reason why you go through some of the stuff. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a testimony. Oh, king, maybe we will burn, maybe we won't. But if we do, the God who we serve is able to deliver us. Why? Because he had delivered them out of the land of destruction. All their parents had been murdered. The women had been raped. The, the city set on fire, but their life was spared. What a testimony. Not just a testimony of being selected as one of the, some of the great young men of, of, of that congregation, but Daniel said, oh, king, the, my God has sent an angel and he shut the mouth of lions. I don't think we realize how many times God has come to where we are and he divinely intervened and we will never know the goodness of God until we stand together in that sweet by and by on that Beulah land and we watch the video of our life when he picked us up out of the storm and he carried us. There's only one set of prints and it was God carrying us. How cool is that? I think of David. I waited for the Lord. He heard my cry, brought me out of the miry pit, set me on a rock, put a new song in my mouth. What a testimony David had. And you see the favor that God brought David because he was not ashamed to admit that he had erred. He was not ashamed to admit that he had messed up, not ashamed to admit that he had sinned. But God took that testimony and turned it around and made it a triumph for David, that David was able to write so many songs and be so close to God and to be such an anointed singer. You never know why you're going through stuff. I think of the woman of Samaria, her testimony. She ran back into the town, and she said, come see the man who knew that I was promiscuous, who knew that I was loose, made no attempt to hit on me, treated me like a woman, shared with me the plan of salvation, told me about the river of living water that would never perish, that would never run dry. And the Bible said, this is, look at what I said, the Bible, the Bible said that half the city came to God because of her testimony. Wouldn't it be something if you stand before people and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see I was a loser. I was despondent. I was broke, busted, and disgusted. But then I met a man who knew what I was, but he made no attempt to take advantage of me, but he laid down his life. He came into my heart, and now I am free, free, free. Thank God I am free. Like a bird out of prison, I'm free. Oh, I wish I had 30 more minutes. I haven't even started the message. I really haven't. Paul three times shared his testimony, found it necessary to share his testimony three times in Scripture that we know of that he shared. If you look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23. I've read this chapter several times in different translations. And the best way, I guess, to describe this chapter of 2 Corinthians 11 is that there were some people doing some things in the kingdom 
to spite Paul, to destroy Paul, to shut Paul down. So Paul begins to address some accusations. And he begins to address some things. And then all of a sudden, do I have 30 more minutes? Then all of a sudden, he steps out of the box and he starts sharing. And he even tells you, he said, I don't know if this is God-ordained. I don't know if this is, but let me tell you where I'm at. Are they ministers of Christ? And then in parentheses, I speak as a fool. In other words, he's about to share some things that he's gone through, but he doesn't want you to glorify it. He doesn't want to be seen as a superhero or a super Christian. He's just telling you some of the steps that the righteous endure. There was a song in the late 60s that said, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for he hath overcome the world. Everything is not hunky-dory. Everything is not peachy cream. Everything, everything is not awesome and phenomenal and incredible. And I think sometimes the world gets tired of our salutation. How you doing, brother? Oh, incredible. God has so much blessed me. And all the kids are on drugs. I'm serious. We don't have to act like that we are immune from temptation, attack, and frustration. We don't have to act like we are so spiritual that no negative, no hurt, no harm comes our way. Bad things happen to good people. That's, the, that's why there's a good God that we call upon in the time of trouble, and he hears our cry. He's not without ears. He's not without emotion. He's not without feeling. He loves you. The word says, in him we live and move and have our being. Let me give you a revelation that I, that I got on that. Jesus never married, never had kids, never was a grandpa, never rode a jet ski, never hit a golf ball, never shot quail out of the sky, never went shopping. I think sometimes Jesus laughs with us when we do dumb things. I really do. I think Jesus loves the thrill of going 78 miles an hour on a jet ski and then flip it sideways and throw him off and let him tumble through the lake. I think he loves children. I think he loves being a grandpa. Can I, can I change the wording around? In him, we live and move and have our being. But may I say, in us, he lives, he moves, he has his being. He is complete when we are connected to him. You can't be loved and not have something to love. And when we connect to him, it's a whole nother world. The slate is white clean. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We're brand new children walking a brand new walk, learning a brand new language, doing what he's called us to do. And it's okay to mess up. The greatest of God's champions, I could give you the list if we had time, were failures. They were losers. They did dumb things. They had challenges sexually. They had challenges financially. They had challenges with, with pride. They, 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 they messed up. But God in that mess up took their mess and turned it into a message. Took their life and turned it into a life. 
And now we that are trying to get to where God wants us to be, God has put in our life those that have walked the walk, have talked the walk, have lived the life that through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. But we didn't throw in the towel. Oh, we felt like it. We didn't flip God off. We felt like it. We didn't cuss him to his face, but we felt like it. We endured the race. We stayed. We didn't get a limp. We didn't get disqualified. We did it. And now one day we'll hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Faithful over a few things, ruler over many. 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons frequent. In death oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city. Someone say, turn the page. In perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, besides those things with, that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. What a testimony. Can anybody relate? When Paul was called, he was a he hero to the Sanhedrin culture. It was his mission to murder Christians. And all of Rome rejoiced. He was educated, spoke several languages, was a member of the Sanhedrin, had an open warrant to murder any Christians he so desired. Younger in life, he held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen. He was a punk. He was a rat. He's somebody you want to put, put a chokehold on. But on the way to destroy a church, he saw the light. Light blinded him to see for several days. God began to speak to him. God sent somebody, and Paul's life was gloriously changed. He left all the honor of Sanhedrin. He loved all the favor of, of what he was, and he became a fugitive. In prison several times, several things happened to him in prison, and history tells us he died in prison, beheaded for his testimony. You say, well, pastor, how could any good possibly come of that kind of life? Because it was he who said, finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are just? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things and the God of peace shall be with you all. He's the one that said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness of this world. Wherefore, take in the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the last day, having done all to stand, stand with your... Can anybody get a witness? Because of his life, we have his truth to live by and to order our life. And we can look back and say, God, if you did it for Paul, we know you'll do it for us. God, if you did it for Stephen, you'll do it for us. He's not, he's, he's no, he's, what, what am I looking for? There's, there's really no, we're all God's favorites. How he does that, I don't know. How he has time for you and me at the same time, I don't know. But he does. 
we're all his favorites, and he will not do for one more than he would do for another if we're where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing, and understanding that we have a testimony. I had prepared, and I will not be able to pursue that preparation this morning. But just very briefly, let me tell you where, where I come from. Several years ago, I was speaking to a high school audience of over a thousand, and I had a real strong word on Dungeons and Dragons in the Satanic Bible. When I did a study of the Satanic Bible late at night in Memphis, Tennessee, I had a voice speak to me and say, if you'll open the door, I'll show you my glory. I don't believe it was Satan. I think it was a demon. I was in Hamilton, Ohio, preaching tremendous church. The church, the balcony, went way up. And on the back row, before he went to the balcony, I saw in the middle while I was preaching a demonic entity. looked like a gremlin, had fingernails 15, 20 inches long. And it came up to a person on the back row who was taking the, the, the like knives and stabbing in the woman's head, stabbing and stabbing. Later that afternoon, after lunch, I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. Something I saw, and I told him. And when I explained the woman that I saw, he, he paled immediately. And he said, we're at a, we're at a, we don't, we're at a, we don't, we don't know what we need to do. We've just realized she's embezzled thousands of dollars from the church, and we don't know how to pursue it. God showed me that. City of Faith one night, my blood pressure was 60 over 40. They turned me upside down to get the blood rushing through my head. The doctor warned, Pastor Ronda, I may not live tonight. That night as I was laying there in bed, I awakened. There was a nice-looking guy, dark hair, dark eyes, dark eyebrows, clean-shaven, a black, t black, I think it was a polo T-shirt, black jeans, black sneakers. And he looked at me and said, you're going to die. Your time is up. God's going to call your name. Fell asleep, woke up. Again, there was an entity standing next to me. Blonde haired, blue eyed, tan, white shirt, white pants, white tennis shoes, and said, You're not going to die. You're going to live. God's not done with you. That next morning, when Pastor Rhonda came in, I said, What in the world was going on last night? She said, What do you mean? I said, Those guys that came in my room, one said I was going to die. And the other one said, I wasn't going to die. She said, Hank, I've been sitting outside this door all night long. The only one that's entered your room is the nurse every once in a while just to check to make sure everything was okay. There is an enemy, and he's real. The enemy is a liar. Doesn't know how to tell the truth. So if you feel like he's fighting you in a certain area, that's probably the area God is just about ready to give you favor, to give you blessing. I came from a leave it to beaver home. My mom never worked, was with us every morning, made, made breakfast, every, every lunch was there with us, did homework with us. My dad pastored church my entire life. That's all I've ever known is the life of a preacher's kid. Played seven or eight musical instruments in church. I would play an instrument. Someone gets saved, play that instrument. I would go to another instrument. Pastor AC, I finally wound up with a gazoo because nobody could play the gazoo like I could. But I played, I played music all my life in church. I loved church. We didn't go to church once a week or twice a week. We went to church four times a week. On Friday night, we had what's called the YPE. That was Young People's Endeavor. 
It had nothing to do with youth. I never had a youth pastor. That just gave dad another night to preach. My dad preached four times a week. I'm not exaggerating. My dad has an earned doctorate in theology. And if you're ever around him, you realize he is full of wealth of, of the things of God. Never had a youth pastor, never journaled, never had my own relationship with God. And, and Keith, that's what I appreciate about our, our youth group. They, they know there is a God. They know how to communicate. They journal. They pray. They worship him. But I always worship my parents' God. I went to the church they selected. I sang the songs they orchestrated. I sat through Bible studies that my dad did. Can you understand? I knew, I knew my parents' God, but I didn't know him as my God. Maga, very young in life, two or three times, I felt the incredible power of God and really felt real strong that I was called into ministry. But at the age of 18, I had a scholarship for UCLA. UCLA was 30 miles away. It took two and a half hours to get there, three hours to get back. And the one time I went to go check it out, there were three shootings on the freeway. So I decided not to go to UCLA. I went to law school. And in law school, I got horrifically disappointed with law enforcement. I started hanging around cops, highway patrolmen that laughed about taking drugs away from the kids. You got to remember, this is 30-something years ago. Taking drugs away from the kids and using the kids. So I decided I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, I wanted to be a, a I wanted, that's what I want. And I don't want to be a, a studied lawyer. I want to be a, a court lawyer. That's what I wanted to be. After I didn't want to be James Bond anymore or Superman, then I went into the Batman phase and then the lawyer thing. And so two years of law, got disillusioned, started a construction company at the age of 24, was the youngest contractor in Southern California. I built Robert Schuler a million-dollar library, Anaheim Hills. There are four homes there I built. They're now appraised at over a million dollars. I built a Red Lobster. If you ever go to Los Alamitas racetrack there in Orange, in Orange County, I built those four uh, two-story real nice executive offices. I thought that's what God wanted me to do. But in all the construction, I met a girl. Fell in love with her. Convinced her to marry me. She graduated in May. I married in August. And for the first couple of weeks, everything was hunky-dory. Door open. I began to use marijuana, began to use alcohol. After a year and a half of marriage, I began to abuse cocaine, peyote, Valium. Weighing 119 pounds, free basing, shooting coke between my toes because I didn't want the contractor to see the marks in my arm. She decided this was not the life God called her to live. She moved here. We're divorced three years. That night, the, the night before she left to go to Tennessee, I went to the house of God. There was a call given. I accepted. I went. I gave my heart to the Lord. One a big flashy ceremony. There were no prophetic words. I walked out in the parking lot. My car had been repossessed during the service. Had a hard pack of Marlboro in my pocket. Pulled a cigarette out. Began to walk home. Lit it. And I said, you know what? I don't need this. And I threw it in the gutter. I never smoked another cigarette in 33 years. Never went through withdrawals. Never went through any. Went home. There were five or six guys at my house. I had a big fancy glass table, huge piece of, I paid several thousand dollars for that piece of petrified wood. There are four guys chopping coke, snorting coke, shooting coke around the table. I walk in the living room. I said, God, guys, I just gave my heart to God. I don't want any more drugs in my house. You're welcome to take all my drugs. I went into every room in my house, and in those days, MAGA, we didn't apply the blood. We pled the blood. We were old-time Pentecostal. I plead the blood of Jesus in this room. In every room, something left. In every room, something left. What was there was not welcome. What was there was a trespasser, a 
a, uh, what do you call it when you, you, you camp on somebody's land and you don't belong there? Yeah, a squad. What was there a squad? It didn't belong there. As a child, I've been dedicated to the glory of God. At the age of five, I caught on fire. They said I have scars the rest of my life. Been run over, had lawnmower shoot a screw through my leg like a bullet. So many times, God, it just spared my life, divinely spared my life. God never intended for those squatters to have any place in my life. And pleading the blood, applying the blood, speaking the blood, singing the blood, reading the blood, dancing the blood, if blood's involved, there's victory. No matter how you apply it, no matter how you plead it, you get it out there and you stand on that blood that will never lose its power, that has the ability to heal and to cleanse and restore. There will be a change in your life. When I got back in the living room, all the guys were gone. My hash pipes, my hash, all my Coke, all my, all my roach clips, all my stash, all my pornography, Steve, I went to the kitchen. They took all the wine, and there was not even a wine cooler mix. They took the wine cooler mix. They took me serious. They realized that when I walked in that room and said, guys, I've given my heart to God. There'll be no more drugs in my house. That was 33 years ago. I have been clean for 33 years. God gloriously let me go through no withdrawal, no sweats, no, none of that stuff. Gloriously healed. Went too long. Do I have five minutes? My brother said, hey, let's go play racquetball. I weighed 119 pounds. I looked like walking death. Horrible sockets under, horrible emptiness in my eyes. Skinny like a skeleton. Went and played about 15 minutes of racquetball. Found myself in the bathroom regurgitating. I was so miserably out of sh I had so abused this body. My brother took me to a place called Adam and Eve. It's world-renowned, guy and girl, special coach, special trainers. And I made up my mind I was going to get back in shape. I started working out. And it was the rebound on the rebound. That became my nemesis. That, that, became, that became something that I felt like I could do well. I began to eat about 200 grams of protein a day. I worked out every single day but Sunday, literally worked out. I do legs and back one day, I do arms and shoulders one day, and I rotated everything out. And one day, Mr. Teenage America, Mike McClendon, came up to me and said, hey, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. Uh, Mike was Mr. Teenage American. He went on to win Mr. Gold. He won Mr. California. Heavy, heavy, serious competitor in bodybuilding. Introduced me to Rachel McClish, Bob Bergson. I worked out with both of them. I put weights on the rack for Lou Ferrigno. I met Arnold Schwarzenegger. He didn't work out. He just came in to show up. It was, really, it was really a top class. It was a top class place. And Mike said, he said, Hank said, I want you to be my workout partner. I said, Mike, I mean, he's bench pressing 400 pounds correctly on the neck, thumbs behind the bar. I said, Mike, I can't even, I can't. He said, that's not the point. He said, you're the most consistent person I've seen in here. I want you to be my workout partner. So Mike and I began to work out. He began to show me a lot of secrets, a lot of shortcuts, how to eat right. We never, we never did Dynaball. We never did steroids. Later in life, he did steroids, but we didn't do steroids. We did it right. I remember my first sermon was preached to four guys in the jacuzzi. They were stuck, couldn't get away, shared my testimony. Next Sunday, went to church. Three of the four got saved. Mike McLennan gave his heart to God, served the Lord. We would go in the church lobby about five minutes late, do about 30 push-ups, and we all wore shirts too small for us and we walk in and sit on the front row. We went to the pastor. Pastor, if you have anybody that's, that's demon-possessed, you can't deal with the demons, let us handle them. 
We went to church praying that somebody would be out of order that we could squash and sit on. God opened the door for me to share my testimony. I shared my testimony on Sunday night in Southern California. At the end of the service, there were several decisions for the Lord. The pastor stood up and told the church without asking me. said, tomorrow night, come back. We're going to start a revival. I had one sermon. It was 23 pages long. I read it word for word. Moggy, the reason I know it's 20, 23 pages long, my mom is a list keeper. You haven't been here in three days, son. I mean, she keeps lists, you know, and she, she's always right. She's always, she said that every time I turn the page, I lick my finger. So I, if, if you're ever around me, you, you'll notice I always lick my finger, but so it was 23 page. It only had one sermon. Next morning, Steve at nine o'clock, it was me and God at the church. I said, God, what in the world do you think you're doing? I have no, I have no sermon. I have no notes. I have no books. I have nothing. I'm a burnout California surfer drug guy. I don't, I don't have, I was weighing 170. I just bench pressed 305 in competition, right? Feeling pretty good about myself. God said, I want you to go on a fast. Steve immediately was like, no, I've got 17-inch arms. I've got a 17-inch neck. I didn't have a neck. My head just sat on my shoulders. I said, God, look, I got, look, can't you use this? I thought I was supposed to be a spirit-filled bodybuilder traveling with Rachel McClish and Bob Birdsong. I thought that's a plan that God had for my life. I didn't eat a bite for 21 days. 21 days, God gave me a sermon. Next 21 days, there were 40, 50 salvations for the Lord. 50 or 60 people got filled with the Holy Ghost. The, the church claimed it was the greatest revival they ever had from that time until now. God used me. That thrust me to three years full-time. Traveled literally the world, 18 countries, 30 states, 14 denominations. I preached for the Catholic. I preached for the Mormon. I preached for the Seventh-day Adventist. And I've even preached at a New Age church. Any door that would open, I went in. I was told I couldn't use the name God, but I could use the name Satan. I preached in several major high schools, several in Marietta, several in the Atlanta area, spoke twice at Cleveland High, was told I couldn't use the name God, but I could use the name Satan. So I told the story of the prodigal son in a 1998 different style, and God opened the door. It was a wonderful blessing. But at the end of that three years, I felt God was impressing me that, that Rhonda and I were supposed to connect. There had been no communication. I came a few weeks after I got saved. She wasn't impressed. I came later, went a few days to Lee. She wasn't impressed. She had been dating some pretty cool guys and felt like that was God's plan for her life. God opened the door for me to go to Dalton, Georgia, the divorce capital of the nation. Cedar Valley Church of God at that time was running over 1,000. Powerful, incredible church. And in that revival, I flew in Saturday. Friday night, my home, my parents' home had been broke into. I lost a gun collection, lost some, just some real serious stuff. And I was walking outside, walking down by the side of the church right there by the house. And I said, God, what in the world is this all about? My God, I'm tithing 20%. I've given you my life three years. I've traveled the world. I've, I've gone without. I'm not dating. I'm not. You know, what's this all about? And God said, this next year will be the greatest year of your life. That was New Year's Eve. My parents got married on New Year's Eve. We went out to eat. We came back early. The robbers were in the house. We got there. They left out the back door. And so the next day, I flew into, I flew into Atlanta. Pastor picked me up Saturday night. The pastor's home. In those days, we actually stayed with the pastors. We didn't go in a motel. Pastor's home. The pastor came in and said, I don't know what he called me. Probably Brother Davis because he was so formal. Maybe he said Hank. He said, Hank, it's for you. I've never been to Dalton. I didn't know anybody in Dalton. Nobody knew I was there. Nobody had my phone number. And he said, it's Rhonda. Well, let me tell you what I had done. Bring, bring me a chair. In Southern California, every Saturday night around 9 o'clock, and Scott, you'll enjoy this, 
Thanks, God. Every Saturday night around 9 o'clock, we went to Bob's Big Boy. I don't know if you remember Bob's Big Boy, but it was a chain across the nation. We drank about 18 cups of coffee. And then we went to church. We had the whole sanctuary by ourselves. It was me and three other guys, three burnout, three losers, three. They all had stuff in their life. They had all needed a miracle. They needed to touch from God. We would pray all night long. Give it up for our sound crew. Kenneth Copeland said, whatever you ask, you can have. You just got to believe it. So we got a chair. And we put it in that altar area. Right about the place where God called me to preach. Right over here is the place where he saved me and gloriously delivered me. Right here in the front of the Pope is where he filled me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Right about in this area, we set a chair. We said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the Lord to astro-project Rhonda from Lee College to Westminster, California. Man, we got around that chair. We held hands. We chanted. We prayed. We did everything we could to manipulate God, and it, she didn't submit. It never happened. But we believed it would. We believed it would. You know, one day God said, quit worrying about Rhonda. She's right where she's supposed to be. Get yourself right. Wow. That's a new concept. It's me? I thought it was her. She abandoned me. I'm freebasing. I'm doing drugs. I'm hooked on pornography. I'm cussing. I'm carrying a loaded gun, 9mm, just did a big hash deal. Two of my friends went, gotten, it's, that's neither here nor there. It's not me, it's her. No, it's you. Me. What was scary, it took God three years to get all the junk out of my life and to get my mind right. Because the moment God got my mind right, it took 10 days for him to heal my marriage. She wanted a powwow. Let's meet. We met, I think it was a I think it was Shoney's or Denny's or what? Cracker Barrel. Hey, give it up for Cracker Barrel. She said, we need closure. I want to forgive you for this. I want to forgive you. And, you know, a young lady has a hope chest. And, Steve, they fill it with things that they're going to use in their marriage. Maybe mom gave them a salt and pepper shaker. Maybe there's some uh, pillowcases. Maybe there's some sheets. But every girl in her heart has a hope chest. This is what I want my marriage to be. This is the kind of man I want. This is the kind of, every, every one of them. And when you take an 18-year-old girl right out of high school, homecoming queen, miss up, marry her, never been around drugs, never been around alcohol, didn't, didn't have a clue about any of that stuff, she freaked out when I started smoking cigarettes. Freaked out completely. When you take somebody and put them in 
the ACDC, Black Sabbath, Nirvana, music, the needles, the hash pipes, the $100 bills rolled up, snort the coke. You know, it started with $100, but it ended up with dollars. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. I will not lie to you. I enjoyed marijuana. I enjoyed alcohol. I enjoyed speed. I enjoyed all of that. But when the enemy got his hook in my jaw and let me taste a Coke, Coke destroyed me. I hate cocaine. I will not play Eric Clapton's song. Cocaine. I won't play it. I'll turn it off. And word I, 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 I abhor cocaine. There is pleasure in sin. I'm not going to lie to you. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But if the enemy can, he'll reel you in so deep you can't ever get away. She said, I forgive you. Close chapter. You go on with your life. I'll go on with my life. I let her say everything. I didn't interrupt her one time. I let her say everything she had to say. Then I told her, I believe we were meant to be together. And I believe that we're supposed to be restored. I think that we're supposed to get remarried. Well, she almost threw up. We went to the church that had a school that I was preaching the convocation during the day. And the song director asked everybody to hold hands and sing. I forgot what we sang, but she's, when we all pull together, 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 when we all pull together, how happy we'll be for your work is my work and our work is God's work. When we all, and I was holding hands. And later she told us, Steve, that she felt like I had cooties. Cooties. For those of you who know what cooties is, it's not all that important. But it's yucky. It's icky. It's, she didn't like it. She came and heard me preach one night. Came back a few services later. And in the altar area, God healed us immediately. That was in January. I dated her all the way through May. Did not sleep with her. Honored her virginity. Dated her all the way through May. Got married in the North Penn Church of God. Became one at the Chattanooga Choo Choo. Spent 12 days in Hawaii. And every day, it gets sweeter, it gets better, it gets richer, it gets deeper, it gets fuller. And look at her now, hubba hubba. Tonight, baby, you and me. What are you saying? Was it Waterboy? Adam Sattler? And you remember what they kept, that one guy kept saying to him? What, what phrase sticks out in that movie? Come on, come on, give it to me. You can help me. You can do it. You can do it. Nike stole it, but it came from God. I can do all things through Christ. You don't have to be a loser. You don't have to make excuses. You can take small bunny step, just just little step towards the things that God has for you. But there, there's got to come a place in your life. First of all, you need to realize you can do it. And you surround yourself with people that have done it. You surround yourself with experienced warriors, patriarchs. You need someone in your life that has no hidden agenda. I take Juice Plus every day, not because Pastor Ron's best friend sells it. I was deer hunting in, in uh, Freer, Texas. A multimillionaire told me about this product, how it had helped him. He had nothing to gain by telling me, I like people like that. Steve, I like people in my life. They're not talking to me because they, they want to get something from it. I want people in my life that love me, that have no hidden agenda, but they'll speak the things of God upon. That's what you need in your life. You need that. And you need to know you can do it. Can I tell you what we do better than anything else? Austin, are we ready? Can I tell you 
what we do better than anything else. We pretend. We pretend. We fake it. We act like everything's okay when it's not okay. We put things off. We shut it down. Sometimes we just need to reflect. With your eyes closed just for a moment, would you hear nothing but the word of the song? As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, God can handle our weakness. He can handle our frustration. He can handle our fears. That temporary hedge we hide behind, that facade, that mirage. Everything is not all right in my life. There are some bad things happening right now in my life. There are some things that are out of order in my life. Financially, things are not the way it's supposed to be in my life. I'm losing things. Phone calls from creditors, repossessed, hurt, embarrassment, shame. Easy to hide behind the suntan, easy to hide behind the muscles, easy to hide behind the BMW, easy to hide behind the Louis Vuitton. But Lord, I need to tell you the truth. Everything is not all right in my life. You're here this morning and you've wandered away from God and you're not where you're supposed to be. And today you have sensed not guilt, not condemnation, but affection, passion. Sense the presence of God, the singing, sense the earnesty of God and the message. Touched by the song by Scott Kerpane a few minutes ago. No more pretending. Pastor Hank, don't embarrass me. Don't, don't call me out. Don't bring attention to me. But I just need to acknowledge today everything's not all right in my life and I'm not where I need to be with God. And I know it. That's where you're at. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. There's one. Yes. Another. Yes. Another. Today was all about you. Today was all for you. Today, God provided himself to you. Father, we acknowledge that void in our life. We acknowledge that darkness. We also acknowledge the tug. We also acknowledge the call. For a long time, you've been tugging at our heart. A long time, you've been calling us. We've gone the other way. We've looked for pleasure in areas that brought pleasure, but wound up in bondage. We've looked for hope in relationships that have been broken, that we have been wounded, abandoned, rejected, trashed. And today we know that asking you in our heart does not mean that we'll be immune from headaches. Doesn't mean there won't be financial challenges. Doesn't mean it won't be rejection and hurt by others. But it will mean that all of heaven hurts when we hurt. All of heaven laughs when we laugh. All of heaven rejoices when we rejoice. That we are now partners to a higher calling. And as we ask you into our life, we realize there is the accuser of the brethren. But when you come in, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm tired of being in bondage. I'm tired of depression. I'm tired of frustration. I'm tired of poverty. I'm tired of fear. I'm tired of inconsistency. I'm tired, of, I'm, I'm tired of all that. Everything is not all right in my life. And I need to let you know I need you in my life. Say you love me. Words hard to grasp because those that should have loved me didn't. 
Those that should have been faithful and consistent weren't. So I've been burnt. I've been trashed. It's tough. It's tough to learn to trust again. It's, it's, it's tough to give anybody a second chance. I come into my heart. Acknowledge my mistakes, my failures, my sins, my inconsistent. Acknowledge those. Take that brush and dip it in that fountain filled with blood that your son provided. Wash away the blackness. Liquid paper the negative. Remove the wounds, the scars, the infection. Remove all of that. Let my heart become clean and pure. Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Have mercy upon me, O God. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Now, whether you, whether you plead it, whether you apply it, whether you sing it, whether you declare it, would you declare right now in the name of Jesus, the blood that will never lose its power is flowing in my vein. The DNA of God that was put in me from creation has come alive. God's blood is in me. All life is in the blood. Blood of The blood of Jesus has washed me, cleansed me, restored me, given me purpose, given me hope. And it flows in me. Jesus, Jesus' name. Is he not a great God? Is he not a good God? Is he not incredible? Is he not phenomenal? We love him because he is.